Hello, this is Cindy Dunnigan, and welcome back to Nomads You and I. Today, we have a scripture hike for you that starts in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. And so, Mark Dunnigan, how are you today? I am fantastic. This is a great section of scripture. Uh, we start right off the bat with Jesus is 100% God, uh-huh. and it kind of reminds us of our nomad quest. There's a big difference between seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon okay. and being there. Yeah. There is a big difference yeah. between Thunder Mountain Railroad in Disneyland, okay. which was kind of a knockoff of Sedona, uh-huh. and going to Sedona. Ah, uh-huh. So you have like kind of the prototype, well, you, the real deal. You have something that is a faint image. A f- and very then, faint image. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> a stretch. And then you have the 100% genuine mm. thing right before your eyes mm-hmm. with with all the smells and all the ambiance and mm-hmm. everything that goes with it that you mm-hmm. cannot capture in a photograph. Mm-hmm. All right. So here we go. In verse 9, it says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And this goes back to verse 8. That is this contrast between you have Jesus or you have philosophy, human tradition, Okay. Um, elementary principles of the world. Okay. The wisdom of the world. Or you have Christ. Ah. So why do you side with Christ? Okay. Well, because Christ is all the fullness. And that's what that word fullness means, just that which makes something full uh-huh. of deity. Deity is God, what makes God God. So Jesus isn't like 85% God or 73% God. He's 100% divine. And in bodily form, I think, emphasizes, and he was that when he was upon the earth as well. He didn't lose his divine nature Mm -hmm. when he came to earth. That's why I need to follow him, Mm -hmm. because he is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in John 1, 1, and the word was God. Yeah. Yeah, and there is some controversy over this in the denominational world of people that say that Christ was not fully God, that Christ was just a man, maybe a, uh, one of the best philosophers to ever live, and other people say he was a created being and such, but some of the some of the parallel verses, I think, to this, that uh, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, might include Matthew one twenty three that says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then you mentioned in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All came, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glorious, the only begotten from the Father. John 1. So you mentioned something that there are people that say, well, he wasn't God, but he was a good man. And that, to me, would be an example of Colossians 2.8, empty deception. Mm. Because as you go through that, you go like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus did not claim to be just a good, mere man. He claimed to be God. He claimed Mm -hmm. to be equal with the Father, John chapter 5, verse 23. He claimed that if you had seen him, you had seen the Father, John chapter 14, that he was the only way to eternal life. So Jesus did not make that claim. Mm -hmm. Anyone who claims to be God when they're not, they're not a good man. Absolutely. And so you have to make a decision there. He's either, verse 9, the fullness of deity in bodily form, or he's in a 
he's a tremendous deceiver. It's there's no middle ground on that particular question. And so that's why, because he is deity, that verse ten can say, "And in him you have been made complete." Now, Mark, is this the second time that this has been mentioned that uh, he completes us? Yeah, there's been a lot of that in Colossians, and I think it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, only your creator, because chapter one, it's clear that he created us. Only your creator could really make you complete, right? Only the designer of something, like a designer of the product, could really make it complete. Yeah. And so, which means like, well, no, no human philosophy can make you complete, because yeah. no human philosopher is complete, <laughs> Yeah, and and it's um, and it's there's some human ignorance there and etc. So going back to chapter one, Paul's goal was to com- present every man complete in Christ. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea that if it only took the gospel to get you in the Christ, okay, if it only took the gospel to deliver you from the domain of darkness, then why would you ever buy into the false idea? that the gospel can't get you to heaven Mm. and that you need something more. So Mm -hmm. I think he's really making a a powerful point is Jesus is the final spokesman. He's the final authority. Why would you ever listen to somebody other than him when it comes to really, really important matters? Are you going to listen to fallow men speculate about the creation or are you you going to listen to the creator himself? Only the creator could actually give you everything you need and help you become a mature, complete person. Yeah. One verse that 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 whole concept reminds me of is 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know, when we're talking here about being made complete, uh, it's so beautiful. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You know, that's when this completion happens. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so part of this completion, Mark, it's connected with this next phrase, because you know what, Mark, you're not complete without your head. Yeah. You got to have your head to be complete. And so uh, he makes us complete. And part of the way he does that uh, verse, this rest of this verse says, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Yeah, because he, he's God. I mean, <laughs> he knows far more than all other rulers and authorities he is far superior in his wisdom power omniscience his you know you name it yeah he's the one in charge he's the final say definitely and it's no matter if you are a judaizing teacher if you're a church leader if you're a governmental authority employees even um, parental authorities whether or not such submit at present to the rule and the authority of christ that's over them they remain a subject to his judgments um, over their use of whatever authority that they have yes the teachings of jesus take precedence mm-hmm. over everything else mm-hmm. they are the final say on the matter mm-hmm. verse 11 and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of christ what are we talking about here well there was a circumcision in the old testament but that's not this one because that one doesn't really matter anymore that was part of that first covenant this is the circumcision that matters and it's not a bodily sort of thing it Mm -hmm. is a moral, spiritual, it's a heart issue. So it would be the removal of sin from our lives, the mm-hmm. removal of bad attitudes for our li- mm-hmm. from our lives, that sort of thing. And so 
that's what's going on here. And he's going to talk about baptism, but it's almost as if baptism is viewed as a burial, but in this verse, baptism is kind of viewed as a, a surgical procedure. Yeah. Where in baptism, you voluntarily submit to God as the great physician mm-hmm. who's going to get rid of the cancer in your life. Gotcha. Yeah, Romans 2, 28 through 29 says, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, because that's Mark, circumcision was connected to Judaism, right? Yes. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, unquote. So, this cutting away of sin from one's heart is also known as repentance and is followed by baptism, which we're going to see here. And that's why Acts 2.38 says, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, yeah, so 11 and 12 are really connected there, having okay. been having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through the faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So a couple of things there. Since baptism is called a burial, it's obviously immersion. It's not sprinkling or mm-hmm, pouring. Because that would be even on a physical level. Yeah, if, not acceptable. If you go to a burial and they sprinkle a little dirt nope, and everybody walks away, work. that's not going to work. So we were buried with him, and mm-hmm. that's from Romans 6. That is, as Jesus went into the tomb following his death mm-hmm. and then came out of that, mm-hmm. baptism parallels the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are buried under the water, and then we come up from that. Like As a resurrection. Jesus. Yeah, it's a resurrection. So it says, in which you were also raised up with him. So we believe in him. He tells us you got to get rid of your sin. Okay, we do that. We voluntarily submit to baptism. We are buried. And when we come up from the waters of baptism, we rise with him. And that's connected to faith. Yeah. And not faith in our working. That is, right. baptism is not a work. It People says say, the well, working of God. A work. No, this verse says baptism is a work of God because yeah. baptism is probably the one, one of the most passive things that you could ever do. Yeah, if you're going to talk about the work, that's the repentance part. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> that is a lot. Of, that feels very laborious. Well, even hearing the gospel and believing it and repenting are all far more difficult than just submitting yeah. to baptism. And yet we get this argument that, oh, yeah, all of that, do that, but then baptism, yeah, that's a work. That's not what this says. It says it's the working of God. So God does all the work in baptism. God removes that body of flesh, that sinful body. God forgives us of our sins. God raises us up in newness of life. Mm -hmm. So just as he came up alive Mm -hmm. out of the tomb, we come up alive out of the waters of baptism. Obviously, we're not alive prior to baptism because that just destroys the whole analogy. The whole analogy. So just uh, for a little point of clarification, Romans 6, 3 through 8 very much complements this text when it says, quote, All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, 
knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And it goes on to say, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Again, Romans 6, 3 through 8. No, good question for the philosophy out there or the mm-hmm. tradition of men to people out there that say, well, I've, I've got something better. I got something better than what the Bible teaches. Okay, can you give me newness of life? Can yeah. you make it where I'm forgiven of all my tr- past transitions? Mm-hmm. Can you transform me into a complete different person? That's what's available in Christ. So there may be some people listening, Mark, that still they are under this very common popular teaching that says that we are saved by faith alone. And so I just wanted to toss in there uh, for those treasured listeners that to consider 1 Peter 3.21 that simply says, baptism now saves you. So that's pretty plain. In fact, the only time you're ever going to see the words faith and alone in scripture is when James says that you're not saved by faith alone. Yeah, the faith. Yeah, that we are not saved by faith alone. That's going to be James. James chapter two, 24 through 26. Okay. Because faith alone would be the faith the demons have. Mm. I mean, they believe in God, Mm. but it does nothing. So also the counts of conversion and the great commission do not just isolate faith. It's Mm -hmm. he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Or like this verse, faith in the working of God. So you're baptized, why? Why are you going to be baptized? Because God said, if I do this, yeah. I'll come out of that in, in newness of life. Mm-hmm. So I am trusting that God will do what he said he would do yeah. when I'm baptized. It's simply submitting. Faith is willing to submit to God's way of saving you, yeah. not your way of saving yourself. Yes. All right, so then in verse 13, it goes on to say, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's a really important verse because it goes back to verse 12. So what was our condition prior to baptism? Well, dead in our transgressions, not our parents. Mm -hmm. Spiritually dead. Yeah, not the transgressions of Adam or previous generations, but Mm -hmm. our own sins. And damned eternally at that point. He made you alive together with him. Well, when's that? Well, the previous verse says, upon baptism, Mm -hmm. you're made alive together with him. Mm -hmm. And what was done upon baptism? Having forgiven us all our transgressions. So, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The forgiveness of your sins is not prior to baptism. It's as you come up out of the waters of baptism. First mm-hmm. Peter 1.23 adds, quote, you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but is imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So he makes us alive together with him by planting that seed into our hearts, just like we see life spring every spring from the ground, you know, he brings new life. And that's how he does that within our, within our hearts is that word of God implanted, having forgiven us all our transgression. He said, like Mark, even our darkest deeds, the man who writes this killed Christians before he became a Christian. Right. Yeah. So 14 says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. So here's a number of things in these passages that Jesus did for us in dying upon the cross. 
one way we just noted that he opened up the path to salvation. He opened up a way for us to go from dead in sin to alive. Okay. And we find that in baptism. This is something else is that at the cross, he canceled out a debt and that debt consisted of decrees or laws. And it was against us. It was hostile to us. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And right here, what we find is that the debt that consisted of laws or decrees was the law of Moses. It was hostile to us because we had violated it. Mm -hmm. And so it condemned us. So at the cross, Jesus removed the first covenant, which had been anticipated. Deuteronomy 18 and Jeremiah 31 both anticipate the removal of that covenant with a new covenant. Mm -hmm. So along with opening up a door of salvation, he also removes the law of Moses and puts in in its place the law of Christ or a better covenant with better promises. Yeah. So Mark, I feel like there's probably part of our listeners that are very, very new to the scriptures. So you'll notice when you look at your Bible, there's two sections to it. One is called the Old Testament. A testament is a covenant. Um, And then there's the second part of it says the New Testament. So this law of Moses that Mark is referring to, you'll see it very early in the, in that Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Yeah. Exodus 20 and it's the 10 commandments and all the laws connected with the 10 commandments. Yes. And it was a covenant that was made with the nation of Israel that was taken out of bondage and slavery to Egypt. And so that's very symbolic of that New Testament where what we're reading about today is that Christ is freeing us from the bondage of sin. And so you are, all of us are now, under the new covenant. So we are in the New Testament. And so those are the laws. And so they start those laws. Jesus began to teach them during his ministry on earth. But in the book of Acts is actually when that New Testament is inaugurated and put into place. And so... Uh, beginning in the book of Acts, we see people coming into relationship with God in the way that God has now invited, not just people of Jewish descent. Now you can be Abraham's son, because all of those people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel were sons of Abraham. You can be that too on a spiritual level, which was God's plan all along. Yes, and so there's going to be some similarity in laws because God's the lawgiver of both. Yeah. And it's not that God gave a bad law. The first covenant had a definite purpose to protect the nation of Israel until Messiah is born. Mm-hmm. And so it had a definite purpose. So there's going to be similarities. Yes, murder is still wrong. Stealing is still wrong. Adultery is still wrong. But the reason that you're going to go, okay, in the Old Testament, I find animal sacrifices. Hmm. I don't find them like in the New Testament. I find people observing the Sabbath in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, I find Christians meeting on the first day of the week. That's why you find those differences, because you have two distinct covenants or agreements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark, I think about when we were on our nomad quest and we went to the reconstruction of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And I mean, I have to acknowledge here, admit that I dropped a few tears <laughs> when the tour guide was talking about this. Um, the Old Testament law of Moses and all its ceremonial requirements is what's been canceled, right? So this is the very reason why at the moment Jesus breathed his last on the cross, 
the barrier curtain in the temple of God was ripped open. From top to bottom. From top. Who can reach the top? God himself was ripped by God himself from top to bottom. And so we learn here that Christ gives us access to a warm relationship with God where we no longer need a Mosaic priesthood. But now we are, as 1 Peter 2.9 says, a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Mark, I don't know if I read the part here where it says the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was hostile to us. I mean, the law was holy, righteous, and good, but the reason that that law Moses had become hostile to us is that we had is that they had violated it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this whole Old Testament law was really from the beginning. It's not like God comes up with a better idea. Like all along, it was designed by God from the beginning to point future souls toward the new covenant that he had in mind the whole time. Uh, Hebrews 8.13 says, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. He has made the first obsolete. But Whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. And this is why the temple is destroyed, like in the first century, not long after Jesus's death, right, Mark? I mean, now you cannot even trace your lineage to prove that you can be a priest because all of those records were destroyed in the first century. Uh, God, by his providence, was making it easier for those first century Christians to transition into the new covenant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So, yeah. So right there, that would tell us that the first covenant ended at the cross and the new covenant began. And then in Acts 2.38... The conditions for the new covenant are laid down or how to enter into this new relationship known as the church. Mm. No wonder Jesus said in Luke twenty two twenty, this is the cup when he's doing, you know, he's giving the first Lord's Supper. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So that's why he says that. Uh, He took away that old covenant and nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, when he has disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Interesting verse. When seems to go to like his death, burial, and particularly his resurrection, he disarmed rulers and authorities. Mm-hmm. And he made a public display of them. Yeah. I think the resurrection of Jesus Christ showed how powerless, particularly evil was, yeah. to stop God's plan, how powerless Satan is. Uh, and not only that, but the ignorance of Satan compared yeah. to his omniscience. It also basically exposed, I think, the, the uh, fallible nature of human wisdom because both the Romans and the Jewish leaders come against Jesus and stand opposed to him and they were completely wrong yeah yeah those that thought themselves so powerful that they could violently take the life of an innocent man they viewed as a rival to their power had another thing coming when they realized that they had actually crucified someone so powerful that the grave could not contain him so i think the idea here is obviously satan is still here even after the resurrection and temptation is here Mm -hmm. but 
resist de- resist the devil and he will flee from you. Mm-hmm. Or even Jesus said he had seen Satan fallen like lightning from heaven, Luke chapter 10, verse 18. So I think he's what he's saying is you don't have to be afraid of that anymore. Right. You don't have to stand in dread of that anymore. The battle has been won. Yeah. Uh, have you not been rescued out of the domain of darkness? Yeah. Uh, is not Jesus the head of every principality and authority? Well, yeah. Okay. So there was definitely a disarming done at the death, burial, and resurrection. The human authorities have been exposed as being completely ignorant. The world, through its wisdom, did not know God. Satan was completely unable to stop Jesus from casting out demons or being resurrected. Yeah. Great victory. Yeah. Jesus shows up like a a conquering king and says, look at all this stuff that you used to fear. Uh You don't have to fear that anymore. Whenever I think about someone trying another in war and such like that, I picture like their foot on their neck kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But to me, there's kind of this an irony around those that he made a public display of them, you know, that he triumphs over them. Because even those authorities, they have an opportunity to bow the knee to the reality of his power over even death and are themselves benefited by his resurrection and can also... Even though they've been triumphed over, they can be reunited with him also and be raised to walk in newness of life upon their belief, repentance, confession, and baptism into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, Acts 2.38. So there's an irony there that the the very ones that he publicly displays and triumphs over, he also invites into uh, the kingdom of God and the family of God. Yeah, public display is an interesting word because they they publicly humiliated and publicly crucified Christ, and mm-hmm. I think they wanted they wanted to do that publicly. The only th- trouble is that that came back the boomerang mm-hmm. upon them. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders gathered together against the Lord and His Christ, Psalm two, and they publicly crucified Him. But some forty years later, Jerusalem was wiped off the face of the earth, and then Rome as a nation went down. And so I think I really like the idea of basically until the end of time, the people in the first century who, st- who stood opposed to Jesus are on public display for mm-hmm. all the world to see yeah. for their evil, their short-sightedness, etc., and their complete lack of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So again, verse 8, don't follow human philosophy. Yeah. Don't follow the tradition of man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this chapter is an invitation to trade that all in for something much, much better. Well, Mark, what do you say we start in verse 16 on our next scripture hike? How does that sound to you? Yeah, that sounds fine. All right. Well, we will see you then. And thank you for our listeners to listening to this scripture hike with Nomads, you and I.